Hello, and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Ahir Shah. The clouds are gathering over the British economy, with data suggesting that the UK has entered another period of recession. While the old warning goes that the plural of anecdote is not data, this economic data does feel like the sum of the anecdotes that are defining all of our lives right now, of belt tightening, prioritizations, and fears for the future. Joining me to discuss the recession at our gates and how it may differ from recessions past is James Smith, Research Director at the Resolution Foundation. James, welcome to The Bunker. Hello, thank you for having me. James, the current thinking appears to be that the UK has entered what's being called a shallow and protracted recession. What does this actually mean? So basically, we we already have numbers for the third quarter of the year that basically suggests that economic activity was was contracting and fuel bills are rising at something like five times the levels they were in the 1970s. So we look set for a big hit to consumer spending. Consumer spending is really the engine of growth in the in the UK economy, accounts for something like two-thirds of the activity that we have in the economy. So we think that the direction of travel from here is going to be difficult given uh, what higher prices, are doing to to economic activity. And really the source of all this, uh, more than anything, has been a big jump in the cost of energy. So we're all getting poorer because what what we need to import from abroad is is getting more expensive. So um, high energy prices mean less activity and less GDP and we slide into recession. And we're also having disruption from strikes and other problems in terms of supply chains and shortage of goods. So it's starting to feel a lot like the 1970s all over again. Well, what you've described there, I mean, if its root is in these massive explosions in energy costs, like it, it doesn't actually sound shallow at all. Like that's what you hear people say that is uh, potentially a shallow and protracted recession. But that that actually sounds pretty deep. Well, the, the, the key thing here is that this is not like a huge economic crash that we had during the financial crisis. This is a rise in the cost of living. So you will get um, lower spending and that will last for a long time. And what the Bank of England have told us is that we'll get something like a 90s recession. So not as deep as the financial crisis, but something which leads to you know, a discernible fall in GDP, um, and then a very gradual sort of plateauing given slow increases in productivity and uh, nominal wages that really drive the the kind of longer term increase in, in activity. So it will, by the looks of it, be something that's not a big bang crisis recession, but it will be something right. that will be with us for a long time. Over the last decade and a bit, we've perhaps surprisingly in some ways gone through a protracted period of extremely low unemployment in this country. Now, what impact might this particular recession have on our labour market? Well, what we normally see when we when we get into a recession is that lower demand in the economy basically means firms are worried that they have too many workers, they're working too long hours, so they basically try to reduce the, the amount of labor that they're they're employing and that can lead to hours worked dropping so for a lot of people even without losing their jobs what 
what you see is a fall in their in their take home pay. Um, for some firms, you see increases in early retirement, that sort of thing. So you basically have employment falling. So yeah, I have to say what what we really saw in the financial crisis was a very big hit to the economy, but not perhaps as big a hit to unemployment as you might have expected, given the size of the hit to GDP. Workers seem to be happy to work fewer hours, to take smaller pay rises in exchange for not losing their jobs. And what you got as a result of that was a very long period of very weak wage growth. So we've seen a period since the financial crisis in which once you adjust for inflation, there's been almost no growth in average pay for for workers. And that's, you know, an exceptional period of uh, stagnation compared with what we've seen, what we've seen in history. So that's really, that's really stood out here. And um, that has really sowed the scenes and made life even more difficult as we've come into the COVID recession, as, uh, as we've now got the cost of living recession. Uh, what we've seen is a lot of households who haven't been able to build up savings, build up their buffers, and we've just ended up being much more vulnerable to the sorts of big shock that we've had from energy as we come in. So we shouldn't view the current recession as a as an isolated incident. We should view it in the context of, of what's been happening since the financial crisis. And on wage rises, I mean, I have my suspicions here, but um, are the government right when they say that public sector wage rises will exacerbate inflation? So the big thing here is that we are getting poorer as a country. So what what we buy from abroad is costing more. And the question is, how is the pain of us getting poorer going to be going to be shared out? And for many workers, what they're trying to do is sort of resist that process. The problem with that is if everybody resists that process, if everybody you know, continues to have rises in their wages adjusted for inflation, what will happen is we get more inflation in future. And we'll have a more long-lasting recession because the Bank of England will have to really push up unemployment to stop wage growth being so rapid and inconsistent with basically stable inflation. Now, what the government are talking about what Rishi Sunak has been saying is we don't want to pay very high increases in, in wages because that will feed back into higher inflation. Now, the difference between public sector workers and private sector workers is when private sector workers argue for higher wages, then firms either have to cut their profits or more likely put up their prices. So it increases inflation in the future. But if you work and you don't get the same sort of rise in prices coming from from higher wages, that's the thing that, that stands out here is that we have very rapid growth in private sector wages. So depending on which measure you take, something like 7% uh, in the private sector and something like 2 or 3% in the public sector. And you're already seeing huge numbers of vacancies in the public sector, very difficult to hire, very low levels of morale. You know, many key workers during the pandemic hit incredibly hard by all this. And what is happening here is it's becoming 
you know, much less uh, rewarding, at least in a financial sense, to uh, work in the public sector. And that's just going to make it hard for the government to hire public sector workers and make reduce the standards of our, of our public services. So the big issue here is basically how to stop a big fall in the quality of public services. It's not clear how that's going to happen. I think, you know, it's the, for the government to say that they can't pay higher pay rises because of inflation um, is, um, you know, is... Is not the real story here. What the, what the government are most worried about here is having to put up taxes to pay a high public sector wages. And Rishi Sunak is, is, is already under pressure for putting up taxes too much. Yeah. It's interesting noting those uh, differing inflationary impacts of sort of private sector wage rises and public sector wage rises. And I think also, I guess, important to note that in a inflationary environment of 10%, that even matching that private sector wage rise of 7% is still a real terms pay cut uh, in terms of the cost of everything going up around us. Yes, absolutely. So we're, we're seeing wages uh, after you adjust for inflation falling everywhere. So everybody's being hit, everybody is getting poorer, but public sector workers are um, seeing smaller pay rises. And, you know, a lot of public sector workers really want to work in public service. They really want to work in their jobs. They don't want to go on strike. But what we're seeing is such extreme falls in wages once you adjust for what's happening to inflation. We're getting these um, widespread uh, votes for strike action. And that, you know we're going to see more of that as we, we go through 2023. The 2024 general election will make history, not least because it's the first one a prime minister looks like he's actively trying to lose. Stay on top of the vote and cut through the nonsense with Oh God, What Now? The original No Bullshit Politics podcast. With me, Dorian Linsky, plus top journalists, comedians and commentators. Twice a week, we follow Richie Sunak's doom spiral, keep a critical eye on Keir Starmer's progress, look at the big issues that will shape the vote and have a desperately needed laugh as well. We're proudly independent, so we don't have to stick to fake balance or give a weak both sides take on any issue. We can call it all as we see it and we can swear too. So if you're looking for election coverage that captures how people really feel, try Oh God, What Now? High quality analysis, brilliant conversation and jokes twice a week with extra special editions in the run up to the election too. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. James, out of the G7 countries, I think Britain currently is the only one with an economy that's still weaker than it was pre-pandemic, right? And it feels like we're being particularly badly hit, even though, unlike, for example, many other European countries, we weren't particularly reliant on Russian gas before the invasion of Ukraine. Um, is it basically that sort of the whole of Europe is dealing with sky-high energy prices and the ongoing effects of the pandemic, and also we've got a dollop of Brexit on top of that? Or is it something sort of deeper in our economy, like how particularly dependent we are on services? What's the what's the story of why Britain seems to be in this um, sort of uncommonly uh, dire situation at the moment? I think the key thing is the UK is basically suffering a, a perfect storm of energy price rises that we're seeing in Europe. So like other European countries, we're, we're suffering trying to, to pay higher energy bills. And while you're right that we're not directly using lots of uh, Russian gas and oil, we are in, particularly for, for gas, a European market. And so when the price 
of gas goes up in Europe, the price will, will go up to a large degree in, in the UK too. So we have that kind of European problem of high energy prices, but we also have the really tight labor market that we see driving up inflation in the US. So unemployment close to an, an all-time low. We have very high wage growth. The labor market is very tight. So we're getting domestically driven inflation on top of those higher energy prices are also driving inflation up. So we, we have the worst of both worlds to, to a large degree. And that means we get more inflation, a bigger hit to our inflation-adjusted incomes and a bigger headwind to private sector spending. So we get, we're getting the big recession from, from that way. But we're also, as you say, you know, suffering from the adjustment to the new relationship with, with the EU. So we... Um, you know, we got the new trade and cooperation agreement that came into force in the, during the pandemic. And firms are still adjusting to that. We're still trying to clarify how the border with Northern Ireland is going to work. And we're, uh, new parts of the, the agreement with the EU are going to start to, to come into force through the, through the course of this year. So basically, all this is throwing sand in the gears of the types of trading relationships, the supply chains that UK firms have with Europe and making and adding on top of you know, the big recession we've got and making life um, even trickier for, for those firms as they try to adjust. But I suppose also like parts of the position that we were in before, like, for example, you say, like, we were going into this with a very tight labor market, and that creates more domestically produced inflation under the current circumstances that we're in. But equally, it's not like we would say, oh, if only unemployment had been much higher uh, beforehand, right? So it, it almost seems like ev- even the sort of good, or comparatively good stuff is working against. Yeah, so the big thing here is a lot of people have said, well, you know, we have inflation that's wildly out of control, more than five times the inflation target. What should have happened is the Bank of England raised rates and stopped inflation. Two big problems with that argument. One is that uh, it would have taken incredible foresight. So it would have taken huge increases in interest rates by the Bank of England right in the middle, essentially, of the COVID pandemic. And the second problem here is, you know, we, we just wouldn't have been better off. It's basically the, the, the sort of key thing. So what the, all that would have done is push up unemployment, push down domestic inflationary pressure. But the cost would be a really huge recession, a really big rise in, in unemployment. And the thing that's going on here is to, to the extent that workers can resist falls in their real incomes or to the extent that, you know, we continue to get uh, high inflation. So the Bank of England has to raise rates and push up unemployment. What that really does is concentrate the pain of us becoming poor as a country on a relatively small number of people, except still a pretty uh, large number of people. So the Bank of England have said something like 900,000 people are set to move to unemployment. The Office of Budget Responsibility wow. have a have a smaller number, but that's still half a million. So these are really huge numbers. And for people in that category, what we're talking about is, is real, um, real hardship with out-of-work benefits um, amongst the least generous, particularly for people without children in, in the OECD. So um, if you lose your job, 
it's incredibly painful if um, if we basically are in a position where we share the pain relatively equally across people and the government can help that through its various energy schemes, through what it's doing on public sector pay, then fewer people will end up in unemployment, but there will be a more, you know, everyone will suffer to some degree. So there's a, um, there are no good outcomes here, but there are outcomes where the pain of it all and the hardship that's being caused by the rise in energy prices is less concentrated. I wanted to ask that in the recession that followed the great financial crisis, um, David Cameron's conservatives were extremely successful at portraying austerity as basically the only option. Now, there were, of course, other voices in this country arguing that such a moment was exactly the time for countercyclical stimulus, and it wasn't like every other country did what the UK ended up doing. Now, compared to that recession, we go into this one with a far larger debt, you know, like people and especially Rishi Sunak, love to forget that Rishi Sunak did borrow about half a trillion quid during COVID. Uh, we go in with a higher debt to GDP ratio, higher borrowing costs, and the term austerity 2.0 is now looming over us. Can you see an alternative to austerity 2.0? Or with this government, is that basically what we're in for? Look, the the recovery from the financial crisis was extremely disappointing. So it's extremely difficult to figure out exactly what the policy contribution to that would be. But it has to be the case that having very tight fiscal policy did contribute to that disappointing recovery. And you can see that throughout that period, the Bank of England were really boxed in and wedged at very low interest rates. And that just basically tells you that they had their interest rates set as loose as they as they possibly could throughout that period, and they probably would have cut them further if they could. So, so what we want to do is come out of these recessions in a way that um, doesn't give us the same sort of lasting economic damage that we had after the financial crisis. So, what what do you do about that? Well, you know, Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng come along and say, and, you know, um, one thing that um, Liz Truss's government got right was that we, we need growth. But the unfortunate truth is that when you have inflation the highest in 40 years, what you can't do is really push for uh, faster growth. So there isn't a lot the government can do in terms of providing a sort of general stimulus to boost growth, because that's just going to make the inflation problem worse. And in a way, that was the sort of key mistake of the of the Liz Trust government. So having really big unfunded, 45 billion unfunded tax giveaways basically means that interest rates are really going to be pushed up very quickly. And that has been a sort of key problem for, for the UK economy. We're facing this recession, but at the same time, we're facing high interest rates, which are another thing that um, is, is hitting, really hitting the economy. So, you know, at the moment, we don't, um, this isn't the time for large scale fiscal stimulus, but um, if you fast forward to where the Bank of England, where the OBR, I think, will be in uh, late in, in 2023, you know, we'll have inflation falling very sharply. We'll have, you know, half a million to a million more people in unemployment. That would be the time when the 
the Bank of England uh, interest rates and the government can support uh, a rapid recovery. So at the moment, there is an obvious way to drive uh, drive rapid growth. The government are doing what they should be doing in terms of um, supporting uh, households and firms through that. You could argue that with the way that they're doing that. But, um, you know, there will be a point at which inflation should fall back and uh, the economy will be much weaker at that point. We must make sure that we don't end up with the same mistake that we had following the financial crisis and have a really weak recovery that has a really lasting impact on living standards. It does occasionally feel that in 2010, the Conservatives were elected by making a series of claims about the British economy that over the subsequent 12 years, they turned into reality. Well, I mean, you know, that's, uh, the, that is something that people have to think about here. And, you know, if we are pessimistic about the future, um, and particularly if the government is is pessimistic and the Bank of England are pessimistic and that feeds back into how they set their their policies, then it can become self-fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Now, James, we've spent a lot of time talking about the storm clouds, uh, but is there a vision of how they may clear? Is there something on the horizon that we can look forward to a time where there may be cause for optimism for the British economy again? Well, I think there's two really big things here. So first, we should be very clear that this is not the 1970s. So we have an independent Bank of England that will bring inflation back to the inflation target. We have very different institutions for setting wages, uh, different trade unions. So it's much less likely that we'll end up in the sort of wage price spiral that really meant that the 1970s energy shocks ended in really long-lasting inflation. So I don't think we should forget that. I don't think we should be complacent about high inflation, but it's uh, we're in a different era to, to the one we were in then. The other thing that's going on here is that we have had very high global inflation. And basically, what happened following the pandemic was that uh, globally, people switched from the types of spending that you do that requires social interactions to buying stuff. So buying TVs, buying their home gym equipment. And what that did was really shift the overall composition of global demand. And if you look, for example, at the US, where particularly if you look at durable goods spending, things like cars, things like electronics, that kind of thing, the spending on those items is still way above the long-term trend that we were on before the pandemic, but spending on services is still pretty weak. So basically, the economy, the world economy shifted, but we also got huge hits to what the world economy could produce in terms of goods. You know, for example, um, a big engine is China and the zero COVID policy there made it extremely difficult for those goods to be supplied. And this is a key source of that rise in prices, the high inflation that we have now. And what we're seeing is those supply disruptions reduce. We're seeing a shift back in spending towards services from those, those goods that we're buying during the pandemic. That's particularly clear in European economies. So those forces, those really big headwinds that are pushing up inflation, 
those are more likely to turn back into tailwinds as we go through the through the course of this year. So hopefully high inflation will will fall back sharply and we'll have a, a, a policy approach from a, a very different world to the 1970s that can then generate the rapid recovery that we need afterwards. So I think, you know, this winter is going to be difficult, but there's reasons for thinking that uh, we could see good deal of improvement through the course of this year. James, thank you very much. I think that's been an interesting and occasionally difficult conversation, and it's been nice to end it with something that hopefully we can look forward to uh, in this new year. That was James Smith from the Resolution Foundation. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Great to talk to you. And listeners, thank you for joining us on The Bunker. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Do follow us on your favorite podcast app. And if you are able to, you can get every edition of The Bunker early, plus merchandise and more by supporting us on Patreon. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out how. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Does what's going on in the American election scare and bemuse you in equal measure? Want to know what Biden and Trump are up to without tearing your hair out? Then you need to listen to American Friction, the brand new podcast about the countdown to the big vote in November from the makers of Oh God, What Now, The Bunker and Paper Cuts. Every Friday, we'll speak to leading experts and blockbuster commentators from the United States to explain the latest news and the big issues behind the vote. That's American Friction with me, Jacob Jarvis. Me, Chris Jones. And me, Nikki McCann Ramirez. Out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. The Bunker was presented by Arhea Shah. The audio production from me, Robin Lieburn. Producers are Jack Gerbertson and Alex Reese, with assistant production from Kasia Tomaselli. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor Andrew Harrison, and our theme music is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.